0: The following podcast includes explicit language, not restricted to words beginning with F, S, B, and Q.
1: Hi, I'm Josh Levine, Slate's national editor, and this is Hang Up and Listen for the week of January 12, 2021. On this week's show, we're going to talk about Alabama's win over Ohio State in college football's national championship game. We'll also discuss how athletes and leagues responded to last week's insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. And finally, we'll assess the NFL's Super Wild Card Weekend and how pro football looked on Nickelodeon. I'm in Washington, D.C. I'm the author of The Queen, the host of Slow Burn, Season 4 on David Duke. Also in D.C. is Stefan Fatsis, author of the books Word Freak and A Few Seconds of Panic. And Stefan, I heard that you declined the Presidential Medal of Freedom this week. Good choice, I think, in keeping with the spirit that Bill Belichick has inspired us all to follow.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm hoping that in a different administration, they'll also see that I merit the Presidential Medal of Freedom, but I thought it was the right thing to do for the country to turn it down.
1: Um, Be prepared (laughs) for some wild tonal shifts on today's show. Joel Anderson from Palo Alto, a slate staff writer, host of Slowburns Season 3 and 6. Are you prepared to talk about masks rioting and attempted coups and Nickelodeon, Joel?
2: We'll see if I'm up to the challenge. I'm more excited about talking about Najee Harris, but I'll just go wherever the show takes us today. (laughs) As always.
3: Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th hosted by
1: kevin hart the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game tune in on may 5th at 5 p.m pacific time for the roast of tom brady
3: live only on netflix
1: so we recorded the second and third segments on monday we're recording the national title game segment on Tuesday. So if it feels like we are disjointed, then blame it on the calendar. Blame it on the sports calendar, Joel. But what can you tell us about uh, what
2: happened on Monday night? The most indefensible and unprecedented of college football seasons ended in the most predictable fashion Monday night. Alabama is the national champion again. The Crimson Tide broke a 14-14 tie in the second quarter, In route to a 28-point win that gave Nick Saban a record seventh national title, moving him past Paul Bear Bryant into first place all-time. Heisman winner Devontae Smith was offensive MVP in only a half's work, catching a college football playoff record 12 passes for 215 yards and three touchdowns before suffering a hand injury in the third quarter. Alabama played a nearly flawless game, finishing with a perfect 13-0 record and officially dethroned Josh's favorite team, the 2019 LSU Tigers. But anyone who's listened to our show all year knows that the story of the season wasn't about wins or losses or whether we all owe Notre Dame an apology. It was about reckoning with the game's hypocrisy and excess amid a national pandemic, from Ohio State bullying the Big Ten into playing back in the summer to thousands of Alabama fans flooding the streets of Tuscaloosa last night on a day when the state crossed the 400,000 mark for COVID-19 cases. So, Josh... The season is mercifully over. Do you think when we look back on this season in a few years that we'll even remember this game or this Alabama Crimson Tide team?
1: Personally, I will, just because of you browbeating me into, uh, you know, (laughs) capitulating into saying that they're the best team of all time. That might be a special case. Um, We are going to remember this season forever, um, just because of everything that it took, all of the compromises, um, mostly moral compromises that it took, to make it happen. And I think the fact that after all of that, as you alluded to at the very top of your introduction, Joel, that Alabama and Nick Saban stood at the at the top is sort of perfect. There was some thinking um, both before the season started and I think during it that this was going to be a kind of wild and crazy season, <laughs> both um, in terms of how it was going to be played and who was going to you know, come through it, that it was an opportunity for maybe outsiders in this season that's never going to be replicated to maybe have a chance to break through. And the fact that that didn't happen, Stefan, I think tells us something really important about college football is that the powers in the sport are always going to find a way to remain the powers in the sport that like structurally, that that's always going to be the case, both because of the way that Talent filters out, but also just how they can kind of write the rules and, and, um, you know, order things and organize things so that this, you know, outcome is just beyond overwhelmingly likely to
0: happen. Thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty depressed and I'm not sure whether it's the riot, the sacking of the Capitol or, watching this as the denouement of this ridiculous season but i really had a hard time enjoying the game i mean i, I sort of my attention lasted until the middle of the second quarter and i realized how much better um Devante smith and naji harris were than anybody else and wondered how the hell that was possible and how college defenses could be so bad or how these guys could be so much better than everyone but then sort of everything that, that of thought experiment
1: didn't really help you go through the entire remaining four hours of the game. It did,
0: not. <laughs> <laughs> it did not. I did watch, but for everything else, I mean, I felt like the game last night and let's start there to me was sort of an encapsulation of everything that was wrong with this season, but also college football generally. And I think If this year did anything, it is to bring into starkest relief possible just how fucked up a system this is, as you alluded to, Josh. And, you know, I think that you're right. It's hard to come out of this feeling anything but cynical about the future of college football, that the people that control the game will continue to control the game and to exploit the athletes in the way that the athletes have always been exploited. On the other hand, and maybe this is a dim and and you know this is a shout in the wind, but there, I was reading a piece this morning by some academics that was posted on the Guardian, in which they interviewed the vice chair of the board of regents at Michigan and a regent at the University of Minnesota, both of whom seemed to believe that there was a sort of come to Jesus moment this year because it laid bare what college sports are and that they do need to change. And I don't think Monday night's game um, is going to send any university president in the SEC, um, you know, to drafting new rules to pay college players, but it's out there now. I mean, this was a disaster of a year. And, you know, I've now moved completely away from Alabama's greatness, Joel, I'm sorry, but (laughs) that's what I'm left with here. Everything that is wrong with college football was on display last night. And I can get into more details as we go on.
2: Okay. Well, no, that's fine. I mean, I think that, obviously, there's a lot wrong in the country, and college football is just a piece of that. You know, that, like, we're learning a lot about how bad our institutions are in America. And college football just happens to be one of them, right? And it does have some particularly fucked-up dynamics. I mean, from... You know, Justin Fields playing through an injury that he wasn't quite sure about to Jalen Waddell, you know, trying to gamely get out there on an ankle that clearly didn't seem like was fully healed. But can I can I admit something? I've, I've inexplicably become an Alabama fan. And I think it's in the same way that I became a fan of Kentucky under John Calipari, because I think they're probably about as honest about what college football is as any other program that it's. They think of themselves as a vocational training institute for aspiring NFL players. And if you're somebody that cares about players and wants to see them do well and maximize their potential, then Alabama is about the best place for that. They recruit great players, they develop them, and then they put them in positions to thrive. And if we're going to have this system, this system where players are, you know, ruthlessly exploited and don't get their cut, then this is this is about the best option for it like if they're going to get there i want them playing for a system that's or it's a program that is honest about what this is all about and has a commitment to getting players closer to the money if you know if you're to believe that that they don't come across money uh in their path in tuscaloosa in the first place but yeah no i I, i'm i'm you know i it's not something that i'm proud of but like i look at alabama i'm like well we're going to do it this way I'd rather them be doing it because Nick Saban seems to be caring and being honest with players about, hey, look, I'm trying to get you to the NFL. I'm trying to get you in front of as many eyes as possible, and you know, I, there's something to be said for that. I'm gonna I jump, don't know. Let
0: me jump in there real quickly. You tweeted on Monday night during the game, Joel, that it still feels like Bama didn't get everything out of Najee Harris that it could have, and maybe that's deliberate. And I think that's a, that's a takeaway that I often have about Alabama. Right? It's like, wow, nobody looked like they were you know, being completely burned up, right? That there, it does seem like Saban does hold back. So that's a good thing. Fewer carries, fewer hits, maybe a longer NFL career. On the other hand, Mac Jones was hurt last night. He kept playing. Jalen Waddell was run out onto the field and he certainly shouldn't have been playing. And, you know, maybe you have to get to the NFL to realize that that's what's wrong here. Jalen Ramsey tweeted about it during the game. Who advised 17 for Bama to play? Whoever it is definitely doesn't have his best interest at heart. Patrick Mahomes tweeted, respect the heart, but you can't let that man be out there. So it's not, you know, it's not
2: perfect.
1: It's causing me physical pain to sit to sit through this. Not the kind of pain that Jalen Waddell was in, but yeah, come well, on, I mean, I, Joel. I mean, this is a ridiculous argument. Wait,
2: what's the ridiculous? Okay, go ahead. Say, if, say it.
1: If, if Bama... <laughs> really cared about preparing players for the NFL, how could Jalen Waddle have been on the on the field? And how could Alex Leatherwood have come back and played his his senior year? Like you gotta if if your goal as a program is to be a vocational school and like really have these players' best interests at heart, then like those guys were gonna get NFL millions. And the only thing that they were doing by either playing a full season or playing in that game is endangering their earning potential and mm-hmm. their, like, family's earning potential for, you know, down well, well, the line.
2: Well, hold on, hold on, because, I mean, I, you know, I can't speak to Alex Underwood of what his NFL prospects were the previous year, like whether or not he thought, oh, if I play another year, that I have a better shot of going higher in the first round, or if they actually like the experience of playing football at Alabama. I mean, if you talk to any great NFL player who played at a powerhouse, that is inevitably... One of the you know the experiences they cherish the most, playing on a great college football. They like playing college football, football more than
0: playing in the NFL. Let's be clear. Yeah,
2: yeah. So I mean, I like I we can quibble about the Jalen Waddle thing, and again, I do think that feels that like Nick,
1: more than a quibble. Like that feels well, like
2: I, I mean they were we putting
1: get, the guys. Wait,
2: wait, wait. The guys t- at risk. I don't. We're not. We weren't in that locker room. We didn't. We didn't. We, didn't, we don't know if they said, "Hey, Jalen, you better get out there and see if you can play tonight." What I imagine happened is that they were like, well, Jalen, if you want to try, you can try. And he probably kept trying because why would you not want to try and play in a national championship game? They were saying during were the game
1: that the whole that as soon as he got injured, they were setting the national championship game as the target for him to come back. Like the moment that he got hurt, not knowing what his rehab schedule was going to be or what it looked like. And I thought that, you know, I think that Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreet are amazing at calling games like they're better than any I think NFL announcing team. But the way in which they talked about Waddle was just a demonstration of how college football corrupts all of us. They're talking about they they literally said, oh, he's a hundred percent healthy, but his ankle it just feels different. It's like you're looking at the guy limping, limping. out there. You're expecting mm. us he was limping in like, pre You're expecting us watching this to be like, oh yeah, that's a guy who's totally healthy. It's just he's getting used to how his new ankle feels.
0: I don't know if it was Herbstreet or Fowler, but one of them said that his returning was a testament to his dedication to his rehab plan. And maybe he was completely dedicated to his rehab plan, but they were winning by like 39 million points and he still was (laughs) on the field in the third quarter for the occasional play. And similarly, frankly, Devontae Smith... Hurt his hand, and I hope his hand is okay and it gets better because you need to have hands to play wide receiver in the NFL. You know, you could make an argument that if it was really about his future, once they were up four touchdowns, it would have been time for him to take a seat.
2: Well, I mean, he didn't he didn't come back, he didn't come back again after he was hurt. Well, yeah, he I, mean, I, think- I mean, he was
0: like Great. he had a cast on.
2: Right, and I, 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 what I would say about the Jalen Waddle thing is that I know that you know it's, it's, it's easy to malign the the incentives that Alabama has in in letting Jalen Waddle play, but again, I think that what people are forgetting is that football is a game that players want to play, and they understand they they, they might not understand the long term risk, but they can understand short term risk, and they're like, look, I only get so many games. You only get so many games. That's why I always tell people. And unfortunately, when I was a little league football coach about 15 years ago, and one of the things I would tell the kids, I was like, "Yo, man, you only get so many games, dude. You know what I'm saying?" So, like, I can understand Jalen Waddle being like, "I want to give this a try, no matter, no matter what." It, the, the the issue is that I and I don't we don't know the dynamics of what was going on on the sideline if they were saying, "Don't do this, Jalen. This is, you know, you should not do this. Sit down or." We'll let you try, but you know you got to you got to keep us surprised on how you feel and if you're able to do it. The only thing I'm
1: pushing back on is your claim that Alabama is somehow Denver. special in regards with how it treats I think it's, players and sort of. The, I think it's the-
2: honest. I think no, wait. I think it's honest about what this all is, and I think they're better than any other program in the country at getting players. To their goal in getting to the NFL. Like, I mean, that's fairly inarguable, well, that's because right? they
1: recruit all the best players. Wait, I wait, mean, wait. It,
2: Christian if, Barrymore was a three-star defensive tackle who, whose only other uh, uh, offer was to Temple. Like, I think people say that a lot about, oh, Alabama recruits the best players. And they do. Yeah, because but they it's not do. Every, yeah, <laughs> that's why jo- people jo- say Josh, it. Josh Jacobs, first-round draft pick a couple years ago. He, he was a three-star running back out of Tulsa. They all—I mean, at the, Getting a lot of talent is, is is necessary, but it's not sufficient. You have to develop that talent, and you have to put them in positions to succeed. And we see that with a lot of other programs that recruit great players and get nothing and get very little out of them. I mean, you like admit admit it, Josh. Admit that Alabama is the best NFL factory in college football.
1: I totally admit it, and I think I actually root for Alabama in these games too for a different reason. I I feel like. They set the bar so high that when, in the rare occasion that LSU beats them, it feels so much better. That's why last year was so great. And this is the problem with, uh, you know, with Alabama, Joel, is that they can never prove themselves by beating Alabama. Whereas LSU (laughs) beat Alabama. That's why they're the best team ever. But, um, you know, watching, as opposed to Stefan, and I think this is the reason why uh, he's a more uh, moral person than I am. Mm-hmm. I he's more, than, watching, he's more
2: moral than me, too, by the way. I uh, enjoyed
1: watching Devontae Smith and Najee Harris destroy Ohio State. And the fact that, you know, they have the best coaching, they're able to just, like, get these guys wide open. I don't know if if we want to blame Ohio State for their plan to, like, put some slow-ass linebacker, like, covering Devontae Smith down the field. <laughs> like, that, that didn't seem like a good idea. But... He did the demonstrate way in which
0: terrific hustle in trying to
2: catch up with him, though. Tough, tough Borland. Good good, good hustle, man. You tried. But
1: recruiting great players, developing the players, and putting them in position to succeed, like, that's what they do. And you're right. They are the best at all of those things. They're better than other programs. I concede. I mean, okay. it's,
2: it's irrefutable. All right. Are you, are you ready to talk about now whether or not they're the best <laughs> team in college football history? Because that so, was a thread we talked about the previous week. So, are you ready to admit it now? So, you
1: keep changing the terms of the question. So, let me just make sure I understand. <laughs> oh, is it because then on on Twitter, when R.J. Young asked you about it, you uh, said, "Oh, it's one of the best teams." Okay. So, are we All talking right.
2: about one of the best teams yeah, or the one best, best. teams? One of the best teams. I mean, because oh, well, there's no of, way to know. There's no way to know if, uh, you know, 1980, you know, 1986 Miami or whatever the hell, or or 1995 Nebraska, how they would fare against. You know, 2019 LSU. Obviously, 2019 LSU. I like how I caught
1: you off guard because I was monitoring your your tweets. Yeah,
2: (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah. So I think one of the
1: best teams, obviously, but you might not have seen this. Bill Connolly um, had his rankings of the best teams of the CFP era, where he had LSU number one. He redid the list. This year's Alabama is now number one for him. Really? So that's that's supporting Uh your argument. The thing that I would ask you, I, I think. If we put the LSU thing aside, which pains which pains me to do, <laughs> the question I would ask you that I think puts all of your kind of values to the test okay. is how would you compare 2020 Alabama to the 2001 Miami Hurricanes? Oh, so for people who don't know, let me just go through 2001 Miami. They um, scored 42.6 per game, but they gave up less than 10 per game. They had the best scoring defense in the country that year. But the big reason, I think, beyond the fact that they just blew everybody out, the big reason to elevate Miami is they had 38 guys on that team who are NFL draft picks. I believe 17 of them were first round picks. Oh my God, I'm looking at this now. Clint Portis, Willis McGahee, (laughs) Frank Gore, Jeremy Shockey, Andre Johnson, Brian McKinney, Jerome McDougal, Vince Wilfork, Jonathan Vilma, Ed Reed, Sean Taylor, intro yeah. oh, yeah. role. I mean, it's just like an NFL all pro team. And so, I, I mean, I think it is a, a, a question just between 2001 Miami and, and 2021 Alabama. But Joel, there's also, I, I think, just always the risk of recency bias. If we're talking about LSU or Alabama and like forgetting some of the great teams of the past. Did
2: you say yeah, Frank I'm Gore?
1: I did say Frank. Would, would Frank was third
2: string? He's a third string. I think he's a third string running back that year. that year. He was a
0: freshman
2: that year. Yeah, right. He was. <laughs> he may not even been third string. Did they have Najee Davenport on that team? Yeah, At the screen. Yeah, I mean that was another NFL running back right there. So you know, obviously we're all splitting hairs here, right? And you know, all of these teams probably could beat each other given a game. Like I, I think that Miami team that you're talking to, they had a really tight game at Boston College that year, right? And so I just. I don't want to pick, man. I'm sorry. They're both great. They're both champions.
1: <laughs> the man who's badgering me to to pick does not. Well, want to you were just himself. you
2: were just so reluctant to give them any props, and Stefan was here. He's a he's our neutral arbitrator, mm-hmm. and I, I I would say that you were not giving them their just due props. But I'm glad to see that you've relented. Uh, you know, on the strength so of we Bill Connolly's, yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, if this college football season had not happened. Stefan just think of all the relationships that we wouldn't have been able to form all of the like fun conversations you know this was really an opportunity for growth and unity for us to learn our values for us to watch Devonte Smith just tear dudes up. you know what might we have lost if we hadn't pushed it through Stefan Just think about that
0: yeah, probably not
1: much.
2: <laughs>
0: We'd probably well, be fine. <laughs> we could watch Joel, Devonta, Joel would have gained some some free watch time on Saturdays. Smith
2: in the NFL. Well, no, I want, I'm going to miss Najee Harris. I've really invested myself personally into his into his life and his career, and I'm I'm sad that it's ending in college because now he's going to be playing for you know zero sum game though. Joel, you know, since he might, have, he might have
0: come back next year if there was no season this year. Probably not, but yeah.
1: Yeah. he still could come back. Free mobility.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Go get that money, Najee.
1: No, I think he needs to stay at Alabama, get developed a little more. They really have the players' the best <laughs> interest at in heart. <laughs> Shall we move on? Shall we don't, move be on? Mad,
2: don't be mad that he's better than Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, okay?
1: I, I promise. I won't be. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2%. On all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and one percent on anything you buy with your Titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co/cardcalculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply.
0: As a mob of protesters hepped up on Donald Trump's words laid siege to the Capitol last Wednesday, the sports world reacted like the rest of us in real time. NBA players and coaches, among them LeBron James and Greg Popovich, made powerful statements on and off the court about the horror and depravity we witnessed and what it says about this country and the last four years. But the games went on that very night. NFL players also reacted with outrage and shock on their social feeds, most rightly imagined what would have happened if the rioters had been black. But the NFL team owners who have supported Trump with their mouths and their wallets? Silence. The leagues themselves, especially the NBA, which behaved with honor during the racial justice movement last summer? Crickets. Joel, I can't quite put my finger on it. Did the heads of the most powerful sports leagues decide that ransacking the seat of American government was, after all that they and we have been through, finally the one topic beyond their purview? And even if it is, should after all that they and we have been through, should they have said something anyway?
2: That's a good question. I think that the responses broke down along fairly predictable lines, going back to what you said, Stefan, about how the owners have supported Trump with both their mouths and wallets. And so of course they would support him with their silence, or to you know, let the events of last week sort of pass by without remarking upon them and the players a largely black workforce in both the NBA and NFL and WNBA and all the other sports. I mean, you could sort of guess as to where the majority of those workforces, their political sympathies might lie, their social sympathies might lie. And so they generally spoke out and, you know, expressed some sort of outrage at what happened on Wednesday. So I think though, what's happened thus far has been fairly predictable now as to whether or not the leagues should say something, I mean, you would like if they did, you would like if the NFL released a statement and said, you know, we denounced the actions of last Wednesday and that, you know, this is terrible and that the country needs to come together and, you know, other such problem, right? But, you know, they, I guess they felt like they really had nothing else to add. And I actually can't, I, I can't say that I blame them. I mean, what else is there really to say? On their behalf. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, you know, them saying something really doesn't amount to much to me. I don't see, you know, there's enough, there's enough people expressing their outrage and enough people that are aligned with the president that are either being quiet, you know, being complicit through their silence or supporting him with their own words that it just, I don't know that a release from the NFL would break through that noise. You know what I mean? So everything that sort of happened after the uh, the riots on Wednesday was fairly predictable to me. And I think that's okay. Like I don't need Roger Goodell to say anything.
1: I guess it wouldn't have been surprising to me if they had said something just because whether in sports or elsewhere, there's a lot of calculation going on right now that... Trump is on the way out and the Democrats are coming into power. And so we're just going to like suck up to the next regime, just like how you know Facebook and Twitter are kicking Trump off of their platforms now that he's not going to be able to regulate them anymore. And so you know you see the PGA is saying that the 2022 PGA championship won't be played at a Trump course. And the RNA in the UK is saying that we're not going to stage any of our championships at Turnberry. And the statements there are like, you would think that they would be smart enough to phrase these things differently, but it's like, it's become clear that conducting the PGA championship at Trump Bedminster would be detrimental to the PGA of America brand. I mean, that is extremely Hmm. honest. It's not like we think that Trump inciting uh, an insurrection is bad. It's saying... This would make us look bad and is bad for our brand. I mean, that is like. I mean,
2: but isn't that like the smart play? Because wouldn't you guess that the majority of golf fans, golf players, people involved in the sport of golf probably that, I mean, I, I hate the stereotype, but wouldn't you imagine that their sympathies lie with Trump and they wouldn't want to openly denounce him? They might just say, well, what you did was stupid, but we still support you and everything you believe.
0: Well, two golfers did go to the White House on Wednesday later in the afternoon. Not American golfers, but golfers, Annika Sorenstam and Gary Player, to be honored by Trump and given the whatever he gave out was it the Presidential Medal of Freedom? I have a feeling that that was less about trying to be apolitical than it was trying to not get or trying to to protect their asses legally. You know, a very careful statement that is about branding is something that is probably more defensible in the inevitable. You know, in the inevitability that that Trump's lawyers decide to try to sue the PGA. I mean, Trump's a Trump lawyer, or lawyer for the Trump organization, put out a statement saying that they had already spent you know tens of millions of dollars preparing for the for for this event. So, uh, I think the PGA might have just been trying to cover its ass. Yeah, I agree with
1: you, Joel. That everybody is sort of playing their particular roles here, and yet this is a moment. That's unprecedented in recent history. It's a moment where there are people that are doing and saying things that are unexpected. You have Republican senators saying that Trump needs to go now. So it's not like everyone in every facet of life is lining up in the exact way that you would predict. And so I just found it so sad that you heard NBA players like, you know, Draymond Green, Jalen Brown, you know, LeBron saying the same things that they've been saying all year long, and we're saying, in the bubble. And, you know, I'm not criticizing their decision to play these games, but I think there is some kind of conclusion that's been drawn here, Joel. It feels to me like, no, no matter what we do, does it really matter if we play the games? Does it matter if we don't play the games? Like, stuff is just gonna keep rolling on, whether it's in society or in this sport. I wonder if there's just a, a... kind of fatigue on their part um, and just being like, all right, I guess we're just going to keep playing.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that probably is a piece of it that they're like, well, you know, what at this point, what would be the ends to, you know, boycotting or, or sitting out a game? Like, what would they be hoping to accomplish? Like, what the, is that, you know, unofficially asking for Trump to step down for their owners to come out and explicitly disavow themselves of Trump? As I just say that I'm like, wow, that's a pretty th- that would be pretty moving. That would actually be very fairly useful, right?
1: And we should also note that in Milwaukee, the Bucks and Pistons took a knee mm-hmm. and they explained that that was because of the decision not to prosecute the police officer who shot Jacob Blake. Jacob Blake being, um, you know, the man in Wisconsin who was shot while the players were in the bubble and that led the players to go on strike. And so all of this is sort of coming back around. And this time they took a knee, but they decided to keep playing, they didn't decide to to stop and you know stop the NBA schedule
2: well let me ask you all both this like if they had set out if like what do you think we've talked about this a lot in the previous year about like what do these strikes protests whatever what, what are they hoping to accomplish so if the NBA players had said all right we're not playing today like what do you think that would mean or what do you think you know ultimately you know would be the end game there
0: I don't think we should put this on the players in this case. I mean, I think that the players were making a statement in the bubble that was powerful and directly related to what they were going through in the conversations they were having. This was a, a, a national convulsion. This was more like, should the NFL have played the Sunday after JFK was assassinated? And that's where I feel like the leagues needed to be more direct and i think i do think that if adam silver had come out and said that we don't know the damage that's been done or the casualties that have been suffered right now in washington at 5 in the afternoon on wednesday we're going to protectively cancel our games out of respect and to show our our horror at what's occurred i think that would have been the right thing to do
2: i'm kind of spitballing here but maybe this is not the right thing to say i'm just This is less a sports comment than an a commentary on current events. Comment: I'm just kind of shocked that everybody is that everybody thinks that this is such a. I, I know that it is unprecedented in our lifetimes, right? Or in modern American history. But in terms of like tragic, terrible things that have happened in America over even over the last year, like I'm just kind of surprised that this is the thing. That everybody has rallied around and said this is unforgive, you know, this is unforgivable. We should not- We've had, you know, multiple mass shootings. We had a mass shooting in El, El Paso. You know, three hundred and fifty thousand people have, have died of COVID, and we're setting records every day. Um, you know, there was Charlottesville. There's been all these other like inflection points over the last four to five years that you could, you know, indirectly trace to Trump's language and his incitement. And I'm just kind of surprised that this is the thing. Like I guess maybe maybe you know what it is. The capital doesn't mean so much to me, like as a symbol. I don't think about it a lot. It doesn't matter to me in that way. Like I understand that, you know, we're supposed to project democracy and it's supposed to this is supposed to mean something, not just here, but abroad. But I guess the idea that like everything is supposed to stop that Roger Goodell should say something, that games should come to an end, that this is on par with, um, you know, an assassination of JFK, is just kind of surprising to me. And, like, that that could just be something, that could be my personal response, and, like, maybe it just doesn't resonate with me like it does everybody else. But I think that I've I'm, I'm just been kind of stunned that everybody thinks that this has been such, such a turning point, right? Um, and obviously, you know, for the people that were in the Capitol that day, Sure, I totally understand why, like, they're like, hey, we need to get this guy out of here. We need to consider impeachment, whatever else. This is a turning point. But abroad in America, where everything is miserable right now and has been miserable for a long time, I'm just kind of surprised that this is where everybody, you know, says the buck should stop.
1: Well, obviously, you know, Trump should have been removed and impeached and refuted and renounced by everyone a long time ago. But it does seem different that. You know, a horde of people were going to the Capitol to try to get the election overturned.
2: And you when know, you say that, it makes pipe, me sound ridiculous. But go ahead. That's
1: there, there are some there were some pipe bombs there. Um, <laughs> they were maybe going to try to kidnap and and murder elected officials, including
0: the vice president.
1: You know, staging a coup, that sort of thing. I mean, look, the fact that a bunch of the worst stuff didn't happen means that um, it's possible to frame what did happen. In a bunch of different ways. But, you know, also, you know, Stefan and I are in DC. I'm pretty terrified about what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. That's like fair. this isn't over yet. And it feels like just to focus on the NFL for a second, and we're going to talk about the NFL in our next segment. So maybe they succeeded, but they didn't want to take away from their super wild card weekend. Like, uh, I think they didn't want to say or do anything that would take away focus from this like showcase event. They've been like doing some pretty amoral shit to try to get to this point. And so why would they be moral now? Like they made it through the whole regular season without postponing any games. So, you know, they they want their, you know, they want their dessert. Like, they they earned
0: it. <laughs> maybe they've got, like, a protocol handbook for, like, the violent overthrow of the government. You know, storm the Capitol, games go on. Damage the entire inside of the building, games go on. Assassinate the vice president, then maybe we'll pause. Well, I was going to say,
2: if, like, Mike Pence got beheaded, then I was like, oh, okay, I totally understand why you would you cancel everything. But, yeah. You know, but, maybe- like,
0: think about the
1: difference between how Facebook... Has reacted and how the NFL has reacted. Like, there's no company, um, I mean, I'm sure you could put some on par with it, but that's been as kind of like calculating in terms of sucking up to leadership and power and doing whatever needs to be done to avoid getting regulated. And now they're like, all right, Trump is banned. Like, we're totally banning Trump from our platform. And so, you know, the NFL, whether it's Goodell or or owners, you know, donating money to Trump, partly because they, um, you know, like what he stands for, but partly because, you know, he's the guy running things and they want to, you know, have a seat at the table and being afraid of what backlash because of Trump saying players who kneel are sons of bitches but now that Trump's on the way out, they could you could totally see them casting him aside. But the fact that they haven't done that, maybe that means that their like love for the guy is totally sincere and wasn't as calculating as maybe I thought it was. Or maybe it's just because of like oh you know the inauguration it's just falling you know coincidentally in line with the NFL playoffs and we're just going to focus on that. And kind of ignore this politics thing because like in terms of the calendar, it's just, it's not the best time for us right now.
2: Well, what does it actually offer in terms of public discourse either too? I just don't, you know, again, I, maybe I'm being a little too cynical and I will I'm acknowledge it. i do not think it would that. do
1: anything. I just, I find it interesting just as a kind of cultural or social phenomenon yeah. what their behavior is doing. I don't think it would make any difference. Right. If they did something differently, I just am kind of trying to understand right. their behavior.
2: And that's totally understandable. And I I, you know, I, get, like I said, when you when you say a horde of people showed up to overthrow our government, yes, it does. I mean, that that is uh, absolutely unprecedented in, in, in modern American history. And, 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 like I, and I do terrifying. think, Joel, yeah.
0: that like being here in Washington does make a difference. I think if the Wizards had a home game on Wednesday night, it would have been canceled you know, a mile from the Capitol where they play, (laughs) UMass was supposed to play GW on Wednesday. And there was a story in the Washington post describing what happened to the UMass team. They were staying in a hotel where some Trump supporters were staying. Uh, When their bus pulled up to the hotel and the players got out, they were harassed. They were screamed at. And then when they decided that we need to get the fuck out of Washington, the players and the team had to leave through a back staircase into an alley to get on the bus, which took them to a chartered flight to go back to Massachusetts.
2: Yeah, I mean it was the locus of this, you know, maga nation, right? Uh, DC was, and I'm sure it was terrifying. And you know, I feel I feel bad for everybody that was there and had to be involved with that. But I guess the thing that I, that just sort of strikes me is that. We have been in danger. You know, people have been in danger for a long time in the rest of the country. I mean, they storm—the pe- same sort of people stormed the Michigan state capitol just this summer, you know, uh, and there was a plot to overthrow the state government and round up Governor Gretchen Whitmer. I mean, that was terrifying, too. That You know, the people that were there, that should have been just as terrifying and just as much of a signal that President Trump's rhetoric had gotten out of control and was inciting, you know, violence and, and putting people's lives in danger— And it's just like, wow, nobody took it seriously until, you know, last week. I guess that's that's the thing, is that, you know, there were plenty of points along the way at which these big sweeping statements and gestures would have been useful. And now it just seems a little empty. But, you know, again, I acknowledge that last week was bizarre. It was crazy. It is worth saying that is bad. We should move on from that guy one way or another.
3: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BDW Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: On this week's bonus segment for Slate Plus members, we're going to talk about the Houston Texans aggressive alienation of their star quarterback, Deshaun Watson, and what it says about who gets the benefit of the doubt in the NFL. To hear our thoughts about that, you have to be a Slate Plus member. It's just $35 for the first year. Sign up at slate.com slash hangup plus. All right. There were NFL playoff games over the weekend, and there were more of them than usual. More NFL playoff teams means more NFL playoff games. There were six games in the first round of what the league called Super Wild Card Weekend with no uh, anti-Trump protests (laughs) to distract us from the football. The winners of Super Wild Card Weekend, the Rams, Bucks, and Saints in the NFC, the latter two victories setting up a matchup between the 57-year-old Drew Brees and the 108-year-old Tom Brady <laughs> in the divisional round. In the AFC, Lamar Jackson won his first playoff game, leading the Ravens to a win over the Titans, and the long-suffering fan bases of Buffalo and Cleveland saw their teams win over the Colts and the Steelers, respectively. Let's start with Cleveland, Stefan. The Browns jumped off to a seven to zero lead after a snap went over Ben Roethlisberger's head on the first play of the game. They also jumped out to a fourteen to nothing lead, a twenty-one to nothing lead, a twenty-eight to nothing lead, and a thirty-five to seven lead before almost gacking the whole thing away. They hung on to win forty-eight to thirty-seven. The Browns coach, Kevin Stefanski, was away from the team after testing positive for COVID. He actually watched the game in his basement with his phone turned off. The team facility has been closed for most of the last two weeks due to a COVID outbreak, Uh, maybe connecting up to our previous segment. The NFL, the games must go on. And when they do go on, the
0: Browns win, apparently. Speaking of COVID, there were 15,000 fans in Nashville for their game. But back to the Browns. I take away two things from the Browns week. No coach. Dudes like that were signed during the week ending up having to play could not practice. Yeah, Baker
1: Mayfield talked about meeting one of the offensive linemen in the, ga- in the locker room. A guy
0: named Blake, who I literally introduced <laughs> myself to in the locker room before the game wound up playing offensive line after somebody got hurt. Two conclusions. Practice overrated, coaches overrated. And I think there's some truth in that at this point in the year in the NFL, players are worn down. And this year, they must be psychologically worn down even more than, than normal um, because of what a lot of the teams have had to go through because of trying to play through this the way the NFL has played through this. Flip side, former NFL lineman Jeff Schwartz pointed out on Twitter that the Browns and the Steelers had played each other the previous weekend, so probably less preparation was needed, but the Browns were the team that was decimated by COVID, decimated by injury without their head coach, and they blew the Steelers out of the stadium in the first
2: half. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. And I mean, we could, you know, you could ask your buddy Nate Jackson, Stefan, about like how bodies feel at the end of the season and whether or not like there actually might be some truth to the idea Mm -hmm. that practicing at this point in the season is overrated, that, you know, prioritizing rest and middle reps. Uh, is probably much more important than, you know, getting out there and, you know, putting on some shells and, you know, buckling up a little bit, although I doubt they do that in the NFL that, that much anyway, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think the thing about this is that, which is sort of my skepticism about expanding the playoffs in the first place, is that you spend 16 weeks, like, building a resume, like, you're a good team, and then, in, you know, you, you get home field advantage, all this stuff, and then in a playoff game, it can all get blown up, like, just randomly, right? And and so I think the NFL's playoff system on the whole is really bad at determining who is the best team or rewarding the team that was the best over the course of a regular season. Because as we saw, like, the first the first play of the game, right? I mean, you know, all of a sudden, the Steelers are in a hole. And they have to kind of come back from that. And I just, you know, I it's don't think...
1: It's not the playoff system's fault that the dude snapped it over. No, <laughs> but I'm just saying, head.
2: but like, do you think that the Browns are better than the Steelers? Like, yes, do you I think mean, that the Steelers the Browns ended better the teams? season
0: one in five, Joel. This is a team yeah, that completely I, fell apart. And I will say that better the better now. teams won better. in yeah. the super duper Wild Card weekend. I didn't feel like there were any upsets here.
2: Do you think the Titans are better than the Ravens? Or do you think the Ravens are better than the Titans? I think that was probably the pushiest game of the lot. All right. All right. I mean, I, I guess my thing is, is that on, on the whole, I tend to think that NFL playoffs don't do a great job of rewarding teams that built up a resume over the course of a year. And I mean, you know, that's, that's what happens when you have playoffs. Like, that is the system that we're used to or whatever else. And so you have a one-game playoff and anything can happen. I bet if the Steelers and the Browns played the next week, the Steelers mm-hmm. would, have, would probably be favored. Right, and so I the Steelers don't think-
1: did blow out the Browns in the beginning of the year in the first right. game that they played. But like Stefan said, the Steelers have been crap for the last you know quarter third of the season, and you know the the big issue with the playoffs this year is that there's no home field advantage, or the home field advantage is going to be diminished. I mean, Sean Payton talked about quarantining fifty thousand fans uh, so that they could bring them into the Superdome just. The Saints always, always looking for an edge. You know, you gotta, you gotta res- respect that. Always looking for an immoral, immoral edge. Mm. Maybe
2: thinking outside
0: the dome. Yes, thinking outside the dome.
1: Yeah, gosh. but you know, there's always this, this balance that needs to be struck in terms of this could be like, uh, you know, soccer where we just give the title to the team that has the best regular season, or it could be like hockey where it's just totally random mm-hmm. who wins. The NFL is somewhere in between in any system where it's just a one game you know, win or go home scenario, but there's no option in the NFL to play like multi-game series. Like we're not going to do that to, to these players. But
2: my, I guess my, comp- not complaint, but just the critique is that expanding the playoffs just adds to the randomness of, of the outcomes the following week, right? Because the distance between the seventh best team and the first best team in the NFL is not that big. Whereas in the NBA, you know, first eight seed is presumably a fairly big gap. And so I think that like, it just introduces more randomness into it. And it, maybe that didn't happen, but I think that the Brown Steelers game counts as that. That's an example of the sort of randomness.
0: Bunch of random stuff did happen. You yeah that can't, uh, can't uh, argue with uh, that. Although it. we
2: can't let Mike Tomlin off the hook. Well,
0: what, what so. wasn't random what wasn't random is that like Baker Mayfield dropped back like thirty-five times and they never touched him. And it also wasn't random yes. that Mike Tomlin punted from the Cleveland thirty-eight down twenty-eight to nothing, and then punted again from his own forty-nine down twelve in the fourth yeah. quarter. Yeah,
2: I mean that en- that ended so, it to me. That, that when he punted, him, I mean. you could just kind of feel the air, you know, released out of out of the Steelers. Like I was like, oh, okay, it's over now. Like it was just like, I mean, and, and and Mike Vrabel did the same thing earlier that afternoon. You know, and I just these coaches A lot of talk- weird punts, yeah. These guys talk so much about toughness and, like, you know, building mental toughness and, you know, sh- you know, imposing your will on teams. And then when push comes to shove, they punt. You know,
1: uh, there was a tweet by Football Perspective that made me laugh last night. Going to bed in disbelief that Tomlin punted. I'm just <laughs> imagining, just like somebody lying in bed being like, "I cannot believe that punt. I just can't go to sleep because that punt." <laughs> It was so uh it was so unbelievable. Stefan, you wanted to talk about the Nickelodeon broadcast? Well, I was wondering
0: whether whether you watched it was the Saints Bears game, Josh. Where did no, you choose I mean, the, to watch the Nickelodeon the uh that game? What
1: did I, it work? I take the Saints too seriously to watch it on, on Nickelodeon. <laughs> I, I needed to be fully ensconced in the Nance and Romo, like this is a matter of life or death sort of experience. I can't I can't have CGI slime in my end zone. <laughs> Maybe for were a you, game I don't you, care about.
0: Were, were Were you glad that uh, that Sean Payton agreed
2: to be slimed after the game?
1: Um, sure. Yeah, Whins, I was. I made my made my day. Made my day. Did it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, is slime still a big part of the Nickelodeon TV lineup? I mean, I I know that it was when I was growing up, but I, is that still a thing? Is that the Nickelodeon.
0: Apparently, it is.
1: Okay. If I say I don't know, I think I get slimed right now. But <laughs> I, I honestly, I honestly don't know.
0: But it was a. It's enough of a thing that after touchdowns, they had slime pour into the end zone. Okay. On the broadcast.
1: I don't know if that's if that's sanitary. The whole thing reminded me of like sort of the CIA for kids website, Stefan. Yeah. It's just like we gotta we gotta teach uh, teach the kids about. Uh, how football
0: is really safe and cool and fun. <laughs> well, George, George Dorman had done a story a few couple few years ago um, about the NFL's attempt to sanitize football for kids, similar to sort of the tobacco industry, you know, and his Joe Camel tactics. Um, and that certainly is a little bit of what's going on here, right? And the you know, the 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 lie gets exposed. <laughs> During these sorts of efforts, and it did on Sunday. Um, at one point, an F bomb was dropped that was picked up on the on the broadcast. But My more, stars. yeah. Um, but more uh, more interesting was when Nate Burleson, who was doing the game along with um, Ian Eagle's son and a 15 year old Nickelodeon star, they were the the broadcast team. Uh, had this to say after a player got injured.
2: Yeah, and Taysom Hill getting up a little slowly. It's like scraping your knee at recess. You get banged up, you get back up, and you go out there and play another down. So I'm glad you guys brought this up, because that was sort of the subtext to it all. I heard so many people praising the Nickelodeon presentation, and I was like, we're all cool with, like, selling the game of football to kids now? Like, I just, you know, I know that the NFL has to build another generation of fans and all that sort of stuff, but I was just like, oh, okay, I didn't understand, it, you know, like, you know, demystifying and cleansing, you know, the game was of utmost importance and that people would be okay with that. And people people that, you know, normally are like, you know, football's a dangerous game. Like, we understand that, you know, its future is in peril because of how dangerous it is. And I just saw a lot of people that would normally think in those terms. They're like, oh man, that was so cool. You know, they had the line, you know, the the graphics and it was, you know, the neon, you know, yardstick uh, line out there on the field and all that stuff. I was like, you know, they were really taken with that. And I was like, well, yeah, I'm just kind of surprised that we're okay with settling the game to kids like that. I mean, I also, I just, I'm kind of like you on this, Josh, that I don't, it's not that I take the game so seriously. It's just that I can barely tell you who's talking when the game is playing. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not one of those people who gets annoyed by like Reggie Miller or Joe Buck or Chris Webber or anyone else. Like, it just, none of that stuff ever affects me because I'm just watching the game. It re- you really have to be doing something annoying or absurd for it to catch my attention on those circumstances. I'm picturing
1: you watching a game, like locked in.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. Like I'm just, I Laser
1: the, focused.
2: Yeah, right. All
0: 22.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I got my Twitter up right next to me, and I got the TV right over here, and yeah, I don't have time to worry about. I mean, I mean, who really leaves their stamp on a game other than, I mean, you know, in my lifetime, it's like Howard Cosell, Keith Jackson, you know, Brent Musburger, but other than that, like, I just, it's not like, people's voices add or take much away from the experience to me, but maybe I'm, again, unique in that way.
1: Yeah, announcers don't bother me as much as they, they bother other people. Like, I've never gotten the whole... Like, my my most controversial opinion, I think, in all of sports is that I think Reggie Miller is fine. Like, he yes. doesn't bother me. <laughs>
2: yeah, right. Doesn't bother Absolutely.
1: me. Anyway, um, I, I feel like, in defense of Nate Burleson a little bit, I don't think he was probably consciously being like, I need to... Obscure the the like damage that football does to bodies so that children are tricked into you know <laughs> becoming uh you know in thrall of this game. I look think at you just falling trying...
2: victim to big football. Okay, go ahead.
1: Look at look at me. I'm just I, I just I just think Nate Burleson seems like a nice guy. That's all, but like <laughs> not to make light of it, but we're talking about like sort of contingencies and like action plans and stuff. Like, I wonder if there was a meeting between like the NFL and Nickelodeon of like, all right, what are we going to do if like there's a, a major, major injury or if like something really like horrible happens, like a Joe Theismann sort of thing or like, you know, are they just going to cover the whole field with slime during that <laughs> so we don't have to look at it? I mean, I bet there was a conversation about that and nothing happened in this game other than, you know, Taysom Hill having to leave for for a little bit. But I've, that would have been a fascinating room to be it in. It would have been,
0: and but which is why when you said, oh, my God, an F-bomb, I'm surprised they didn't have like a seven-second delay on the broadcast. Right. Um, not just for F-bomb reasons, but in case somebody had been killed on the field.
2: Right. I mean, the important thing really is to protect children from watching Bears football. Um, because, <laughs> I mean, I've, I've seen... That Chicago Bears playoff football game, basically my entire life, with the exception of 1985, they've played that exact same terrible ball control, barely you know barely crossing midfield playoff game my entire life, and it was. Terrible. Did you see
1: that Mitch Trubisky won the the uh, Nickelodeon MVP of the game award? What for doing what? I think children have you know discovered trolling. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations to the uh, the kids of of America for. It's
2: not his fault that Wims dropped that ball, by the way, in the end zone.
1: It was not his fault that their Wims dropped the the ball in the end zone. I think we can all agree that that was a a Nickelodeon MVP award winning throw, if not <laughs> an award winning catch. We became brothers that day when he did that to us. We made a change.
2: Fighting for what we deserve.
1: Search for Amazing Sports Stories wherever you get your BBC podcasts. Now it is time for Afterballs and we talked about the 2001 Miami football team in our first segment and there are only two starters on that team that do not have a Wikipedia page. So we can talk about First round picks and all that stuff. But the real metric of value is, do you have a Wikipedia page? So the two starters on that team that do not have a Wikipedia page are, number one, punter Freddie Capshaw. Freddie Capshaw actually scored a touchdown in 2001. He ran the ball in on a bad field goal snap against Florida State. According to his bio on the Miami website, he's one of the finest punters in Miami history. Two time All Big East selection 2000 and 2001. You can get an autographed trading card on eBay for $9.99. You can also buy his Becoming a Champion Punter DVD Hmm. for just $39.99. The other starter on the 2001 Miami football team who does not have a Wikipedia page outside linebacker Chris Campbell. And this is a really sad story, actually. He was killed in a car accident. In February of 2002, just a month after the season, he was just 21 years old. According to the AP, he apparently lost control of his car and hit a tree at about four in the morning on a Saturday night. He was from Mount Pleasant, Texas, Joel. He started at Miami for three years. He was actually projected to be a draft pick. In that AP story, his father said he always said that he wanted to take care of me. He always said he was doing it just for me to make sure I was secure. He was inducted into the Mount Pleasant Tiger Hall of Fame in 2018. And listen to this. He lettered in football, basketball, track and field,
0: powerlifting, and tennis.
2: Yeah, that sounds about right.
0: You can letter in powerlifting in Texas,
2: Joel? Yeah, that came along after I'd, I graduated. But yeah, powerlifting and wrestling were two sports that gained in popularity in the late 90s, early 2000s.
1: So his high school coach in that Hall of Fame announcement said that during the spring of his junior year, Chris made up his mind he wanted to play college football. And from that point on, he became the hardest worker on the team. He knew where his talents could take him. Man. So hang up and listen. Listeners, you know what you have to do. If you've ever edited a Wikipedia page, or if you haven't, I think it is time that the 2001 Miami football team needs to have full Wikipedia representation, Freddie Capshaw and Chris Campbell. I want to see Wikipedia pages for both of them this week, particularly Chris Campbell.
2: Mount Pleasant, great. Also, I played with a guy from Mount Pleasant who was also in the Mount Pleasant High School Hall of Fame, Basil Mitchell. So
1: there you go. You would like to see a Wikipedia page for Chris Campbell.
2: Absolutely. I'd read it all. All right, Stefan, what is your Chris Campbell?
0: Well, I spent part of Sunday watching one of the best things in sports, a goofy matchup in England's FA Cup between Tottenham Hotspur, currently in fourth place in the Premier League, and Marine AFC, which is currently in sixth in something called the Northern Premier League Division One Northwest. How far apart are Spurs and Marine? Marine plays in the eighth tier of English soccer. If you stacked up the English leagues from the premiership down, Spurs and Marine are separated by 161 places. If baseball did a similar tournament, this would be like the Yankees playing the Sioux Falls Canaries of the Independent American Association. Marine plays in what's known as non-league football, which is basically semi-pro. The players make 100 to 300 pounds a week. Tottenham's star striker Harry Kane, by contrast, makes 250,000 pounds a week. Marine's roster includes a gym teacher, a garbage man, and a guy who does contact tracing for the National Health Service. The manager is named Neil Young, who works for the railway, and the starting left back is named James Joyce who works in a car factory. Another starter, center-back David Raven, did play three games for Liverpool when he was a teenager in 2004. So how did this matchup happen? Well, here's how the FA Cup works. Clubs in the 4th through the 10th leagues in English soccer play six rounds of qualifiers. The 7th round brings in the 3rd and 4th divisions. Then the teams from the top two tiers, the Premiership and the Championship, Join in. So, this was Tottenham's first game in the tournament and Marine's eighth game. Marine isn't a particularly good English team name because the 127 year old club is named not for a town but for a pub where it was founded. But it did beat some classic English names to reach Spurs. Marine beat Barnoldswick Town, Frickley Athletic, Runcorn Linnets, <laughs> Nantwich Town, and Havent and Waterlooville. Marine against the Spurs was the biggest third-round disparity in FA Cup history. The match was played at Marine's home ground in a suburb of Liverpool. The stadium normally seats just over 3,000 people. Just 389 of the seats have backs. But because of the coronavirus, no fans were allowed in. To help the club make some money off of its accomplishment, fans around the world bought more than 20,000 virtual tickets. The benches were on a side of the field that has no stands. Tottenham's legendary coach, Jose Mourinho, sat in a plastic chair against a fence, butting up to the backyards of two family homes. House numbers are posted on the fence to help retrieve balls during the game that go into the gardens. Maureen's visiting dressing room is so small that Spurs had to meet in a banquet room That the volunteer run club rents out for weddings. Marine cleaned the carpet and it prepared five star lunch boxes for the visitors. There was no Hoosiers ending to this game on a cold and blustery evening. Spurs won 5 0. Marine held the big boys at bay for 24 minutes and almost took the lead when a dipping shot from a young winger slash apprentice plumber hit the crossbar. Marine's 20 year old goalkeeper was valiant and I can only imagine how much fun that he and his teammates must have had saving shots, making tackles on their ruddy home pitch against one of the biggest clubs in the world. I mean, Gareth freaking Bale came on as a second-half sub in this game. The whole thing was charming and a nationally televised bomb for covid racked Britain. After months of staring at the dystopian hellscape of empty plastic mega stadiums, Barney Roney wrote in a lovely piece in The Guardian, This game was a lighted window in the dark and a gift in the middle of a horrible winter. This is where I would normally play the club's anthem or chants or something, but I couldn't find any online. I did, however, discover that in 2010, a couple of Marine chants made the BBC's list of top football chants of the year. One was a tribute to the team captain, another Marine player who shared a name with a famous person, and it goes like this. To the tune of Winter Wonderland. There's only one Michael Jackson, one Michael Jackson. There used to be two, but now there's just you walking in a Jackson Neverland. So that was one. Hmm. The other was a tribute to the former sponsor of the league, Unibond, which makes adhesives. And this is to the tune of When the Saints Go Marching In. The Unibond, it has no nails. The unibond, hmm. it has no nails, and its anti-mold bath sealant is very good. It never fails. Marine AFC, good job, everybody.
2: How did that feel to the New Orleanian in you, John?
1: <laughs> Just made, made me feel the pull of the pull of home. Uh it's <laughs> never been stronger. Uh here's some mild pushback on your uh on your story, yeah, Stefan. Yeah. They're like a hundred something. Uh, places apart isn't that just 160? like a typical non-conference college basketball game they're like 300 <laughs> something
2: uh it's just like uh you know yeah duke versus like alcorn state versus yeah versus kentucky Whoever. or something
0: yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah maybe but it's charming nonetheless <laughs> and they're all professionals <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah they're plumbers they're
2: plumbers involved you
0: now the difference is that everybody in college basketball is getting paid the same amount
2: true hey true. hey hey i wouldn't <laughs> Yes, I would, I wouldn't be so sure about that depending
1: <laughs> right. on the program, okay? <laughs> not, not true, not true. That is our show for today. Our producer is Melissa Kaplan. To listen to past shows and subscribe or just reach out, go to slate.com slash hangup and you can email us at at slate.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. For Joel Anderson and Stefan Fatsas, I'm Josh Levine. Remember Zelmo Beatty and thanks for listening.
3: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
4: Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C.,